And I'm sure that I'm not the only person in this room who hates driving a carload of people going to eat somewhere and no one in the car can make up their mind. And the thing you never, ever want to happen is you never want someone to say, well, you're driving, so you pick. Because as sure as you do, and as sure as you pull up to that spot that you pick, you're going to hear one or more say, oh, no, no, I don't want to go here. Directionally challenged. That's life being around directionless people. Directionless people are usually unhappy. They usually make everyone around them unhappy. Directionless people are usually bitter, everything is wrong, and they're blessed with this special gift that they're always being able to find the negative in a situation. You know, the person that talks about, the person that says, well, sometimes I wake up grumpy, but other times I let him sleep. Well, probably grumpy doesn't have a vision of what, life, what their life is supposed to be. And so because of that, they are wallowing in the unknown that makes their directionless life miserable. Now, I, you know, I know we don't like to think about dying. But I want you to realize today that most people, when they pass away, they pass away slowly. Whether it's little by little with a terminal illness or whether they just grow old and eventually everything wears out. And so as the end approaches, we spend a degree of our time waiting, and, and a lot of times we spend our time wondering. And for some, that wondering can lead to regret because because. I mean, after all, we weren't able to accomplish all that we wanted, and, and we were never able to grasp that golden ring that was just always just right outside of our reach. For some, though, their life ends without regrets because they understood what their vision was in life, and their last days are saturated with a sense of hope and fulfillment because they have used their time and their talent and their energy with purpose. I mean, imagine coming to the end of your life and wondering, did, did I really matter? Did I cry all of these tears in vain? Well, friend, I want you to know that that is not the way God intended for you to live your life. But the truth is that you are creating with your choices each and every day the environment that's going to surround the last days of your life, whether those days will be filled with fulfillment or whether they will be full of regret. Each and every day by our choices, we are dictating what our final days will be like. And the difference often will be whether or not I had a clear understanding of God's vision for my life. 
And friend, I want you to realize today that if you are 19 or 90, God has a plan for your remaining days. But you know, it's kind of interesting that when you ask people about their plan or, or the vision that they have for their life, sometimes you get some, <laughs> well, to say the least, strange answers. Now, if you ask a young person, I mean, you're going to hear the, well, I want to be rich, uh, I want to be famous, I want to change the world. If you ask an older person, you probably might hear something, hear something like, well, I've paid my dues, so I just want to live out my last days in peace and everything in between. And I actually heard someone say one time that their goal in life was that they wanted to eat everything they could without getting fat. Like, you really have a problem with that, Eugene. You're so skinny, you got one stripe in your pajama. <laughs> now, you know, eating everything you want and not getting fat, that, now that's a dream of mine, <laughs> like obviously yours too, but it's certainly not, not a goal for my life. But you see, these, these Simplistic answers, they, they aren't visions or, or they aren't goals for life. They're, they're flippant responses to a very important question. And they're superficial answers that allow us, if that's the way that we set our mind to, that will just allow us to continue to drift along life haphazardly without a purpose. It allows us to live life directionally challenged. Friend, listen to me. Every one of us in this room is going to end up somewhere. But the key is there are a few people who are going to end up somewhere on purpose. And God did not randomly stick you in your mother's womb so that you could just end up somewhere. He created you to be a solution to a kingdom problem, and he wanted you to be a pro an answer to that problem that the world has right now. And so while there are those who just meander along, drawing their breath and their salary, never really making their life matter, I want you to know that God's plan for you is to end up somewhere for a reason. I mean, the Bible makes it clear we are designed to live our lives according to a unique and God-given plan. And that's why we were made in the image and the likeness of a forward-looking, purposeful God. Isaiah chapter 46.10 says, I declare the end from the beginning, and from long ago what is not yet done, saying my plan will take place, and I will do all my will. You have to understand, God never starts something without having the end already in mind. So when he placed you in your mother's womb, he already had your destiny, a glorious destiny, a wonderful plan all figured out. Psalms 139 verse 13 says, For you formed my inward parts, God. You wove me in my mother's womb. Verse 16 says, You saw my substance yet being unformed, and in your book all the days were written when as yet there were none of them. God Pinned your life before you ever took your first breath. So our job, our job is to find out what that God-planned life is supposed to be. 
And every one of us has a future. But some will find the preferred future that God has for their life as we walk in obedience to Him and cover our lives in prayer. He has an agenda in this world, and we are His instruments to see that mission accomplished. And you have to understand that, that the Bible says that your understanding of God's vision for your life is critical to your contentment, to your fulfillment, and ultimately to your survival. Because Proverbs 29, 18 says, where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there is no dream, no revelation, no vision, no sense of creative purpose, the Bible says that those folks aren't going to make it. And throughout history, there are people who stand out simply because they had clarity of their God-given vision. When I look at Martin Luther King Jr., I realize my life is different today because even though he's gone, even though he's dead, his vision is still living on this earth. Our culture has shifted because one man was not afraid to stand up for his dream. Author Wayne Cordero described how a person's vision can shape history. And I quote, It can lift Abraham Lincoln from abject poverty to the Oval Office. It can free a hopeless Helen Keller from a dark, mute life sentence and transform her into a world-renowned author. It can teach a Thomas Edison to put filament in a vacuum tube and light the world. It can make a bicycle fly on the wings of the wind at Kitty Hawk. It is the power of an individual who discovers their God-given reason for being on this planet. Friend, that's where happiness is. That's where contentment is. That's where joy is. But I want you to know the best example of, of this is Jesus Christ. Certainly a person of vision and purpose. Jesus was a man who lived every day with the reality of his father's clear vision for his life. Jesus was very plain what his purpose was, and he says in Luke 19, 10, the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. In other words, he says, don't distract me with anything else. I didn't come to coddle insiders. I didn't come to play footsies with the Pharisees. My objective on this earth is to seek and save those who are lost because I understand the clear vision that God has given me and I refuse to be sidetracked. Well, then he goes on to say about the vision that God gave to him in John 8, 10, 18. He says, no one takes my life from me. But I lay it down myself. And then he says something very important. He says, this command I received from my father. He's saying this is my life's mission. It was planned before time began, and I will fulfill the destiny that my father gave to me. You see, Jesus was crystal clear. He understood God's purpose for his life. He could have quit any time. He could have turned away, but he didn't. We reviewed it last Sunday in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus said, Father, if there's any other way for this to be done, let this cup pass from me. We saw the expression of his humanity. But he said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. 
It would have been easy at that moment to back out of God's plan for his life, to back out of the pain and the suffering and the torture, but Jesus was steadfast because he had a clear understanding of what God wanted to accomplish through his life. And so he said, nevertheless, I'd like it to be over, but nevertheless. Is there a plan B? But nevertheless. Not what I want, Father, but what you want. I want you to know that when we get a clear, clear picture of God's vision for our life, there are some things that are going to come with that vision. And one of them is focus. When God's vision comes into your life and you understand it, you'll become focused because you will know at that time exactly what you're on earth to do. A few years ago, there was a gathering of the CEOs of the top Fortune 100 companies in the U.S. And they were asked this question. How many of you have either committed to memory or have written your life's vision statement? Well, 95 out of those 100 executives knew what they believed their life's mission to be. And so if that works in the secular environment, think what would happen if Christians could grasp God's vision for our life. Listen, if I'll get in his word, if I will saturate my life in prayer, I won't have to randomly flounder through this life. If I can find out what God wants me to do, then I can be what he wants me to be, and I can have a fulfilled life, and I can have passion and a purpose and a destiny. But friend, let's not kid each other. It takes work. Now, it's in you and it's in the book, but it has to be discovered and it has to be developed. And the problem is most people aren't willing to discipline themselves to work it through to find out what God is saying for their life. But if we'll do it, if we'll put in the time, put in the effort, then things will become clear and we will have focus. Because you see, when you're clear on what you're supposed to do, that means you can better discern what you're not supposed to do. And that is so very important because you can be sure that other people also have plans for your life. But here is something that you need to understand. And if you're a young person here today, you really need to focus on this. Good opportunities should not distract you from great opportunities. You know, we always say we need to stay away from the bad things. We don't smoke, we don't chew, we don't run with the girls who do. So we stay away from those bad things. But good opportunities, oh yeah, that sounds pretty good. Oh, I think, yeah, that would be a good thing to do. Good opportunities should not distract you from great opportunities. And you won't get sidetracked by only good opportunities when you know God's vision for your life because you'll know that you need to hold out for the great opportunities. You know, I've watched many people's lives get off track because someone else tried to force their own idea on them. Kids going to college are a perfect example. There's a kid and and he wants to go to Bible college and be a preacher, but his parents don't want him to be a preacher. They think he's too smart for that. 
They want him to be a doctor and a lawyer, lose his in, use his intellect for something important. And so they tell him that if you pursue a secular degree, we'll pay for it. But if not, you're on your own. You see, the parents were trying to force their plan for their child's life. And they weren't concerned about what God was saying. Now, it was a good opportunity to be able to get into med school or law school. But I can assure you it's not as great an opportunity as fulfilling the call that God had placed on that kid's life. And it doesn't have to be parents. It can be anyone who tries to take you away from your God-given purpose. If you don't have, if you don't know what God has called you to do, if you don't have clarity of your destiny, anyone who comes along is going to be able to pull you off course and sway you. And so that's why I said knowing your vision is not just realizing what you need to be doing, but it also is knowing what not to do because good opportunities can distract you from great opportunities. Again, if we look at the life of Jesus, he knew exactly why he was here. And that's the reason when the people wanted to put a crown on his head, he wasn't distracted by something that would have really been tempting to you and me. Oh, wow, just think what I could do for the kingdom of God if I was king. You say, Mike, that's silly. We don't have kings today. Oh, yeah, but think what I could do for the kingdom of God if if God would let me win the lottery. That might be a kingdom today. The Jews wanted Jesus to be their king, and so they're singing, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they're not saying that because they think that he's going to die on a cross. They're saying that because they want to crown him as royalty. But Jesus didn't let their agenda for his life stop him from fulfilling God's agenda. And Jesus had his face set like flint towards the cross, and he shunned a worldly crown in lieu of a bloody cross because he knew what God's plan was for his life. When you understand your God-given vision for your life, you will have focus. Also, when you have God's vision for your life, there will be a sense of endurance. A little while back, Starla and I met a couple who had been married almost 56 years. Really a cute couple. So we asked their secret. The man said, you know, just like a marathon runner has to have endurance to finish the marathon, we have endurance to keep our marriage together. So twice a week, we go out to a nice restaurant for dinner. She goes on Tuesday, and I go on Friday. (laughs) We know how to make this puppy work. Well, the woman also chimed in. She was cute as a bug. And she said, well, and also because he started snoring, well, we decided it would be better if we slept in separate beds. His is in Oklahoma City and mine is in Dallas. (laughs) God's vision will give you endurance, I tell you. Well, Mike, how do I know if it's God's vision? How do I know? Well, let me give you a hint. (laughs) If you can afford it, it ain't God. If you can do it all by yourself, it's not God. 
If it's going to die when you die, it's not God. But if you can't afford it, if you can't do it by yourself, and if it will last past your lifetime, it just could be from God. So now when you understand the clarity that God has called you to do something, well, the next step, let me tell you something. There are going to be people that rise up and try to take the wind out of your sail. No God-given vision will go without naysayers. If you didn't know Job's friends before, you know the cynics and the critics, you're sure going to meet them the minute you go public with a God-sized dream. And Job's friends are going to tell you you're not educated enough, you don't have enough money, you're not smart enough, you're not cute enough, you're not going to be able to do this on your own. You can be sure anytime you hear from the Lord, someone is going to come along and challenge your vision. But I also want to tell you that when you have clarity from God about what he's asking you to do, you'll know why he put you on this planet, and so you will be able to endure through tough times and the negativity of other people. This has been said of Abraham Lincoln. Quoting, he failed in business in 1831. He was defeated for the state legislature in 1832. He tried another business in 33. It failed. His fiance died in 35. He had a nervous breakdown in 36. In 1843, he ran for Congress and was defeated. He tried again in 48 and was defeated again. He tried running for the Senate in 55 and lost. By now, I'd give up. I, you know, I, I, that's, I. The next year, he ran for vice president and lost. In 59, he ran for the Senate again and was defeated. But in 1860, the man who signed his name, A. Lincoln, was elected the 16th president of the United States of America. Folks, I want you to know the difference between history's boldest accomplishments and its most staggering failures is often simply the diligence to persevere. And if you will study his life, you will find out that Abraham Lincoln believed in the core of his being that God had put him on this earth for a purpose. He faced failures. He faced challenges. He faced problems. But he kept moving forward because he had a clear vision of what God wanted him to do. He had focus and he had endurance. Another example of how vision gives you endurance is the story of the Apostle Paul. In Acts chapter 20, verse 22, Paul says, I now am on my way to Jerusalem, bound in my spirit, not knowing what I will encounter there, except that in town after town, the Holy Spirit testifies to me that chains and afflictions are waiting on me. But I count my life of no value to myself so that I may finish my course in the ministry I receive from the Lord Jesus, which is to testify to the gospel of God's grace. The apostle said, everywhere I go, the Holy Spirit is whispering to me that great hardships are in front of me, but my purpose, my God-given vision, is a task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. He says, if pain or criticism or persecution comes, I am a man focused with fortitude because I have a God-given vision. Friend, a vision from God 
will give you the endurance to make it all the way home. A third thing that happens when you have vision is you have peace. And I'm sure most of you can name someone in your life that simply can't find peace. They're full of anxiety because, because they can't, simply can't find their place in life and, and they're searching for significance and they're restless over what their purpose is. Well, like I said, though, the Bible says without vision, the people will perish. And so you have to figure out and know why you're here and what you're called to do. Because without that, you're going to walk through life aimlessly without any purpose or direction, and you're going to live life directionally challenged. Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 32, Indeed, the hour is coming when you disciples will be scattered. Each of you are going to go to his own place, and you're going to leave me all alone. But you need to realize I am not alone because my Father is with me, and these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. Now, in this world, you're going to have tribulation, but you can be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. Jesus says, you're going to go your own way. And that's all right because I have my Father with me, and I'm telling you these things so you will have peace in your heart. So what he is saying is that when you have direction, you are going to have peace. When you know what's coming, you're going to have peace. When you understand the future, you're going to have peace. Jesus said, I'm giving you this direction about your future so that you can have peace about tomorrow. You're going to have trouble. But be of good cheer because I have overcome your trouble. I have overcome this world. I have overcome your worry so that you can have peace that this world simply cannot understand. Jesus gives us the peace that passes all understanding. I want you to know there's a peace that comes into your life when you know where you're going. Whether it's where you're going for eternity or, or where you're going for your next appointment. Have you ever been running late for a meeting and then you realize that you don't <laughs> know where you're supposed to be going? You don't know how to get there? What happens? Well, anxiety sets in, right? Anxiety comes into a person's life that has no understanding of their destination. And the same is true of someone going into eternity without God. Now, let me tell you this from experience. There is a stark difference, a stark difference between the funeral for a family who has no hope in Jesus Christ and the funeral for a family who turns death into a celebration because that individual was a believer. There's a sense of hopelessness for that person who stepped into eternity unsure of what's out there. And when that happens, the family is wallowing in this pity of the unknown and sorrow because they have no idea where their loved one is. But at a Christian funeral, that sorrow turns into celebration, and there's a sense of peace because you know where they are at. And that's exactly what Jesus was saying. When you get a vision of what I've called you to do, when you understand your God-given purpose and your God-given destiny, there is going to be focus, you're going to have endurance, and there's going to be a sense of peace in your life. The fourth thing that happens when a person gets the revelation of God's vision for your, their life is passion. Now, if you show me a person that has no passion in life, 
I'll show you a person that has no vision in life. All great people of God that God has used have had passion about what God has called them to do. Now, probably most of you have heard about Dwight Moody or, or D.L. Moody. And by his own account, this man was a poor shoe salesman that discovered God's vision for his life and his purpose for being. When Mr. Moody was just a young man, he went to his pastor and said, hey, I'd like to teach a Sunday school class. The pastor said, well, we don't have any teaching positions available. So Moody says, well, if I create a class of kids and, and I don't take any of the kids who already come I mean, do you have a room I can use? Well, the pastor didn't have anything to lose, so he said, okay, sure. So D.L. Moody worked extra hours selling shoes to make money, and on Sunday morning he would stand outside of his church and he would pay little kids a dollar a head to come into his Sunday school class. And today there are hundreds of stories of small kids who came to that Sunday school class to get a dollar, but then they left with Jesus Christ as their Savior. It was a man's passion that caused him to work extra hours to make an extra buck because every extra dollar represented one extra kid who's going to be able to hear the salvation of Jesus Christ because of the vision that God gave a man named D.L. Moody. It was a passion that drove him beyond the status quo. Well, some years after D.L. Moody was famous, some British theologians came to Chicago to ask Mr. Moody about his success. So Mr. Moody took them to the top of a skyscraper that overlooked a large park full of people. And D.L. Moody asked him, what do you see? Theologian said, well, we see a park full of people. And D.L. Moody said, that's the difference between you and I. Because when I look at that park, I see countless souls who will one day spend eternity in hell if they do not find a Savior. You see the difference between that uneducated shoe salesman and the highly educated British theologian was a man who had a clear vision from God for his life and it evoked a passion on the inside of him that was the foundation for an evangelistic association that is still touching the nations of this world today. So the question for you and me on this Sunday morning is, are we willing to let God disturb us with dreams so big that they can only come true if God pulls them off? And we need to live our lives with our end in mind. You say, well, Mike, that's gruesome. That's, that's an ugly thought. Well, what I mean by that is we need to be living a life where every day we are writing the epitaph that will go on our tombstone. How would you like these following statements to be finished? The thing that was most important to me in life was people say I stood for 
I made a difference in my world by... People knew I loved them because... The reason I expect God to say, well done, my good and faithful servant, is... You see, folks, what matters is not yesterday. What matters is from today forward. And you may be here today and you may think that you're at the end of your journey, but I want you to know you are not at the end of God's vision for your life. <clears throat> Maybe you have arthritis. Maybe you have a bad back. Maybe you have shaky knees. Maybe your liver seems tired of living. But I want you to know God knows all of that, but he still has something for you to do in his kingdom. The question is, are you going to open your heart up to receive the vision that he has for you? This is not a sermon for 16, 18, 20, 21-year-old kids. This is a sermon for every one of us that need to examine our lives and each and every day make the, the decision that we're going to do what God has called us to do and we're going to make a difference in his kingdom. In Luke chapter 9, you find the story of the fishes and loaves. And you know, the disciples, they're kind of an amazing bunch. They were tax collectors, fishermen. These were a bunch of guys who were continually messing up and probably, more than likely, would have never been voted the most likely to succeed in anyone's estimation. But yet Jesus pulled them up and he gave them a picture of their future. So one day they get to this hillside where there's 5,000 men plus their families. They're hungry, and all Jesus has is a little boy's lunch of five loaves and two fish. Five loaves and two fish. Now, I realize that they didn't have modern math back then, but that still doesn't add up. It's illogical. It doesn't make any sense. But in verse 14, you, you read where Jesus says to the disciples, the men who failed him, the men who were fragile, the men who many times lacked faith. I guess maybe there are at least a few of us here today that might be in that same category. And so Jesus says to them, make, make them sit down in groups of 50. And the very next phrase in the Bible says, and they did so. And they did so. You know, I thought about the frailty of Peter and the weaknesses of James and John. But you see, this time... They got it right. 
Jesus asked them to do something illogical, something far-fetched, and they didn't argue. Jesus asked, and they did so. There are many things that could be on my tombstone. Husband, father, grandpa, pastor, and probably a whole lot of other things that aren't near as flattering. But I hope somewhere that someone would put, God asked, and he did so. So many times, so many times in my life, I, I didn't get it right. I messed up big time. But I want you to know there have been a few times when God has challenged me to step up to his plan. When God has, has urged me to muster up enough faith to obey him. And those have been the situations that have defined my life. Of course, the failures hurt. Of course, the people affected by those failures were hurt. But because I serve a loving and forgiving God, those things are not what defines me. It's those things when Jesus asked, and I did so. Those are the things that change my life. And that's why I want those things to be the things that define my life because when I do, then I'm going to be a better everything. God asked, and he did so. What about you? My prayer today is that you would release your faith and let God begin to reveal his destiny for you because he has one. He has one. It is a glorious plan. doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter what you've done in your past. God has a plan for you today. He's asking, will you do so. Bow your heads with me.